the success of me as their manager is giving them enough experiences and enough to add to their CV to essentially be able to go, well, I'm now qualified to go do this other role or for a promotion. That's, I think, what I should be doing as their manager. Hi, I'm Nils Vinya, and you're listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast, a show dedicated to demystifying leadership development one conversation at a time. Each week, I sit down with leaders in the B2B space to discuss their journey and what they've learned along the way. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous, and the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard, you just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the B2B Leadership Podcast. My name is Nils Vinya, and today my guest is Alex Damgard. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, Nils. Thank you. Oh, Alex, I'm super excited to dig into all things leadership. But before we get into that, we'd love to hear a little bit about what you're doing today, who you're working for, and we'll start there so the audience has a little bit of context of where you're coming from. I'm working for myself. Myself and my co-founder, me and my co-founder, Paul, we started a company called Sales Impact Academy just over two years ago. So I'm the co-founder and chief education officer. Ooh, exciting. Now, full disclosure, I am a coach with Sales Impact Academy, and that was how we originally got connected. So tell us a little bit about what the goal of Sales Impact Academy is and what you offer. So Sales Impact Academy got started because we realized that there's a big gap in education for go-to-market and commercial teams, essentially. You can get a degree in pretty much anything. And if not, then there's at least a certificate, postgraduate points that you can collect. But there's very little to nothing out there for people who are SDRs or prospectors, account executives, customer success managers, And there's not that much out there for leadership either. I agree wholeheartedly. That's why the course that I'm focused on with you guys is it's called the Foundations of Leadership. And we just rolled it out, executed the first round. It was a blast and love the format. So what's different about SIA and we call Sales Impact Academy SIA? What's different about SIA that didn't exist in the market before you guys? Well, the way we like to think ourselves as different is that we don't teach in the way that you might think of consultants or boot camps where you leave work for anything from a day to a week. You spend all day, all week in a room, a different place, maybe even to your office, and you're learning as much as you can as quickly as possible. And then you leave the boot camp and you go apply it to your work. At SIA, we try to teach much more similar to, as you would think, perhaps a university where you're being taught in more bite-sized chunks. We teach an hour per class twice a week over several weeks so that you can learn whilst you're in your job and you can apply it 
straight after class or the next day after class, whatever you learned, you can apply into your job as soon as you can. And I think that's a really important point just in learning and, and growth period is, and I firmly believe and have shaped my entire B2B Leaders Academy around the exact same principle, which is integrating tools into your life because you're already busy, right? Everybody who goes through your courses and mine, like they're already busy doing the job of whatever their role is. So taking them out of it, like you said before, just doesn't really work anymore because you don't get the maximum impact. But if you can integrate tools into people's life and deliver it in such a you know seamless way, then we can get maximum amount of benefit. Exactly. And I'd say the other major way that we're quite different is that we teach everything live. So we're not at the standard e-learning tool where you've got lots of recorded content, perhaps even made to be consumed on demand. Our content is all made to be consumed live, again, as you would do if you were there in person. We teach everything remotely so we can reach as many people as possible. And it's great because it means we can have coaches like you who are based on the West Coast of the US and coaches who are based in the UK teaching the same course together for learners everywhere. Yeah, that is that is super cool. And the ultimate flexibility for us coaches and for the students. So that's wonderful. All right, so let's go back in time and would love to hear about your experience getting into your first leadership position. Set the stage for us. Where were you working? What was the context and what actually happened in order to get you into that position? So I would think of my first leadership position as the first time I became a buddy for somebody at work. So I wasn't a line manager, but that was sort of my first incremental step towards becoming a people manager. And the first time I became a buddy was when I was at Amazon, which was my second job. And I sort of already knew that that was the direction I wanted to take. And I'd been talking to my own manager about, you know, I I want to work towards people management. I want to be a team lead. So how did you know that was the direction you want to take? Like, what was it about the people management side that intrigued you? It's a really good question. I feel like I don't have a super tangible answer. It's one of those things that sounds really fluffy. It's like, oh, well, I just felt it. But I think I've always enjoyed coaching people and training people, teaching, that kind of stuff, which lends itself well to people management. Okay, perfect. So you had conversations with your manager, had expressed an interest in people management, and then there was an opportunity to become a buddy. Was this a formal Amazon program or was this something that was a little bit more ad hoc in your team? No, it was a pretty formal process. Everybody got a buddy when they joined, which became quite a nice cycle so that when you've been enrolled for long enough, you can become a buddy for somebody else and the cycle can continue. Now, you mentioned that you consider your first leadership position being in this buddy. So what were some of the characteristics of the things that you did in that first leadership position? The buddy system is something that, I mean, it's not revolutionary at Amazon. It's done in plenty of places and I've carried it through to Sales Impact Academy. But I think being a buddy to me generally means you're you're having quite regular catch-ups with this new person. You're there for them. You're probably supporting a lot with their onboarding, even if you're not necessarily leading an onboarding training session or actually making the schedule, you're probably 
inadvertently being many training sessions for them in your catch-ups, answering all their questions, guiding them around the company and around their role. So I think a buddy is a really great first step for anyone who is interested in leadership or who's just not sure and, and they want to see what it's like. Yeah, that's a great point. You don't even have to get into a formal position. You can take it on and companies are hiring people all the time. I bet there's somebody who just came in to your organization that whether your company has a buddy program or not, doesn't really matter. If you want to experiment with this, go ahead, try it. See if it's okay to do and, you know, go for it. That's great. So how did the buddy program, like, did it meet your expectations? Was it aligned with everything that you were thinking about from a people management perspective? Did it give you more inspiration to want to do this further? Yeah, it definitely gave me more inspiration. I think it was that kind of like appetizer in my career, which is great because it could equally have gone the other way. And, and I think it's great when people realize I don't want to be a people manager. I, I want to be an individual contributor and that's what I'm good at. For me, it was, I love this and I, I want to try the next thing, which is having a direct report. So that's what I started working towards with my manager, which involved, you know, continuing to be a buddy for new starters, starting to take on running training sessions for new starters, things like that, just getting more involved with new joiners. So that was a process that took some time, right? You were involved with probably many buddies or you were the buddy to many newcomers on the team. And you probably, I'm sure, built skills over time and you continuously express the interest to your manager that when the time is appropriate, you do want to be in a people management position. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, definitely. Okay. And I call that out just because, you know, it's a consistent theme with every guest on the B2B Leadership Podcast is that all of the leadership positions that nearly every guest has gotten into, whether it was the first one or one down the line, has been the result of driving that discussion, of making that decision yourself, and then enlisting the help of your manager and your company to support the fulfillment of that decision. And I see that clear with your experience here. Yeah, 100%. Good. So now... Tell us about when did the people management opportunity come up? What were the circumstances? How did that transition happen? So I kind of got into like a halfway place with it. I wasn't fully promoted into a team lead straight away, but there was an opportunity for me to become sort of like a peer manager. So I was a bit more than a buddy. They were a peer in my role, but I ran their one-to-ones and my manager had sort of skip level one-to-ones with them on a less frequent basis, just to sort of keep that safety net there. That sort of became my first, my next first opportunity to be almost a real people manager. Good. And what did that next level from going from buddy to a little bit more than buddy getting involved with one-on-ones, one of the most important pieces of leadership period, like what did you take away from that little bit of an increased responsibility? Interesting that you mentioned the one-to-ones because I'd say that's the bit that was the newest challenge, structuring one-to-ones, giving feedback. And I guess it was perhaps a little bit easier at Amazon because the culture there was very strongly that the direct report should be structuring their own one-to-one. So as a manager, I didn't have so much pressure on me to be leading the one-to-one, but that doesn't mean that I didn't have to be able to go through their own agenda with them and 
give them guidance on maybe there's something else we should be talking about that maybe they didn't put on their agenda. So yeah, definitely one-to-ones was my new challenge. Yeah, that sounds like a big one. And anybody who's ever been in a people leadership position knows the good, the bad, and the ugly, as I do as well, about what can happen in one-on-ones, especially if the parties, one or more, are not fully prepared. So coming out of this, at what point did you get into the full team lead position and what was the support like from Amazon for individuals who go from effectively not being officially a manager to now being officially responsible? Well, so two answers there. In terms of Amazon's support, I thought it was pretty good. And I'm speaking from the position of when I became that peer manager. They put me through a management training session internally. I remember specifically it focusing on giving feedback and receiving feedback. And there was a lot of role playing involved in that training session, sort of a half day training. And I actually remember thinking really clearly, I wish I'd had this before I became a manager. I wish I'd had this training about giving feedback and receiving feedback because I don't think I used to be great at receiving feedback and it would have been so good to have had this role play training of, oh, well, this is why they're giving me the feedback in this way. And this is how I might be feeling. So this is how I can react. But yeah, to answer your question, the support was was good. And my manager was really supportive too. To answer the first part of your question, though, my actual first big team lead position wasn't at Amazon. And it was part of the reason I left. I was finding it difficult to progress and Amazon was flattening their org structure. So there were fewer people management opportunities available. So I'd been there for two and a half years. I'd been in two different positions by that time in in different departments of Amazon. And I moved to another company and moved into a team lead position there. Hmm. Okay. So coming back to the support piece, Amazon set you up, but the wish in hindsight, of course, is always 2020. The wish is you would have had some of that insight into giving and receiving feedback even well before you got into the, the buddy position or the peer leader position. And I think that's a really good point that we can all take away, which is like there are leadership tools and even ones I teach in the B2B Leaders Academy that are 100% applicable to individuals like giving feedback, receiving feedback. Those things are critically important. It doesn't matter if you're in a people leadership position or not, but it's about becoming really good at those things. And I find it fascinating that we look at them as, oh, well, you got promoted this position. Now is only the time when you need to get involved with that. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, does it? No. (laughs) (laughs) But it is the pervasive way. All right. So when you did get into the team lead position at the new company, post Amazon. Was there additional enablement training support or was it, well, you came from Amazon, you look like you have some training, here you go. Yeah, pretty much. It was a much smaller company, about 300 people. And I came in to be the team lead. I was the the head of outreach for Mia. So I was managing an SDR team and I drew on a lot more than just my experience in the team lead-esque positions that I'd had in the past. I drew a lot of experience from the challenges that my manager had faced 
in their role that I was aware of and, and had sort of shared with them and worked through with them. And I could use that almost as my own experience and go, well, well, I know how this was handled elsewhere. And I know how I would have done it. I know maybe I would have done it differently, or I really liked their approach. And I can use that in my experience too. Yeah, that's fantastic. And everybody has experienced some form of leadership working for somebody at some point in time. And sometimes that experience was good. Sometimes that experience was bad. Sometimes it was somewhere in between. I think the important piece to take away here for everybody is that use the experiences that will help and support you. Don't just follow blindly because that's what somebody else did, right? There are times when we can see it as like, you know, the extreme when it's like, wow, I would never do that. Okay, that's pretty straightforward. However, there are times when it seems like that's just normal. That's just how things go. That's just the way you deliver feedback to a team. That's the way you talk to an individual just because we respected the person we worked for and we associate them with being a quote unquote leader or a good leader. And all of a sudden we adapt all those principles. So how did you differentiate between the things that you had seen and observed and your own style that you were developing at the time? So something that I was, I guess, clearly really pushing for at Amazon was my own career development. And that is actually something that I have my, one of my first managers over there to thank for, because she very early on sat me down and was like, nobody here is going to be pushing for your career development. We're all pushing for our career development. So no, they're managing you, but that means they're there to facilitate whatever you're trying to achieve, you need to be driving forward and telling them what you want so that they can then help you with that. That to a T, I believe 100%. And it's not too big of a surprise when you look at the size and the success of Amazon when you're running a culture built around everybody's pushing for their own career development. It doesn't mean that somebody's going to step on somebody else because they're only looking at it for themselves. It's mean that everybody's in charge of themselves. I like to call this being the CEO of your career. Like it's your call, what you want to do. Earlier in my career, before I had that conversation, I was so passive. I had this sort of, I guess, naive expectation that it's my manager's job. Essentially, it's my manager's job to promote me. It's my manager's job to train me, make sure that I'm progressing in my role. Like that's them doing a good job. So they are here to like, facilitate my career. And it wasn't until I had that conversation with, with my manager at the time that I just completely shifted how I was working through my career. That's that's so amazing. But I did the same thing. I did it, sadly, a lot longer than you, like almost 10 years. I waited for people to tell me what to do and was passive until somebody asked me a very powerful question, which was, are you the CEO of your career? My answer at the time was no. And I made a commitment in that moment, just like you did in that conversation, to flip the switch and to never again not be in control. And it's fascinating how, you know, through all the conversations we have on this podcast and all the leaders I talk to, like there's often one pivotal conversation, right? And this just goes to show the power and the influence that you have as a leader. I mean, your manager sat you down in one conversation, changed your entire professional trajectory. Like that is incredible amount of influence. And sometimes I think that gets overlooked and, and people don't fully recognize and appreciate how big of an impact they can have on other people's lives. Absolutely. And so that's one of the things I really tried to take 
with me into this new role. And one of the first things I did in my first maybe somewhere two to four weeks was with each individual in my team, I had one hour one-to-one with them that wasn't a one-to-one. It was just, you know, we can sit in the office, we can go out for a coffee, we can go for a walk, but I just want to spend an hour getting to know you. What are you interested in? What do you like? Especially because they are in a role, which is entry level, early career. It could take them in so many different directions. So I was really trying to emphasize, look, I can help you go in so many different directions here, but I need to know which direction you want to go in. So I was really trying to give them that control. I mean, it seemed to work well. I One of them told me they were really interested in marketing. So not the sort of traditional sales trajectory of an SDR. Others were interested in becoming account executives. Another was really just wanting to work on their public speaking skills for example. So with each of them, I was able to create sort of plans and go, okay, well, if you want to get into marketing, we need to get you some marketing experience so that like a year from now, when you can say, well, I've I've done this role for a year, look, I've hit my targets and I've been working with the marketing team on their blogs. I've been working with them on these campaigns. So I really tried to give them that like a more cushioned and supported version perhaps of what my manager said which is just you've got to own it yourself yeah (laughs) and that I think is the perfect blend right because the ownership of the decision is still on the part of the individual right but you created an environment where one it was safe to discuss because frankly in a lot of environments people are not going to feel comfortable saying that I actually don't want to do what I'm in the job to do Like that could be a pretty terrifying thing, conversation to have with your manager. If your manager is not someone like yourself who is there to try to understand you at a personal and, you know, bigger picture professional level, like on an interest basis. And that I think spending time to get to know people one-on-one and and drives and interests and just who they are and what makes them tick and ultimate, you know, passions, like that's invaluable. And I think it gets overlooked a lot of times because, well, let's face it, everybody's busy. And, you know, spending time to connect is different than, perception-wise, different than spending time working on projects. We'll get back to the interview in just a minute. This episode is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. The B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. Head on over to b2bleadersacademy.com to join and become the leader you've always wanted to be. Now let's get back to the interview. So how did you balance you know, the demands of, well, I have a team that has to produce, but I also want to facilitate the growth of these people and some of their interests might be outside of what we have to produce for this team. How'd you balance those things? So this is something I've also carried over from the culture that I experienced, at least at Amazon, which was as long as you're meeting expectations in your core role, you can be working on loads of projects on the side of that. And I found that especially for the SDRs that I was managing, that worked really well because 
being an SDR or prospector can start to feel a bit monotonous, especially, like you said, if their interests lay slightly outside of that role. So I had the similar culture of as long as you're meeting expectations, performing well, putting in the right amount of effort, I'm happy for you to go work with other teams. If you want to, like this person, if you want to go spend as much of your time with the marketing team as you can, that's fine as long as you're delivering the minimum expectations of your core role. I love it. That's a, I mean, that's a perfect nugget to take away in a great way to articulate to somebody on the team who might not have a perfect one-to-one fit for everything they're doing. They have to deliver minimum expectations in the role, but outside of that, have some freedom. They have freedom and support them and perhaps getting them introduced to other parts of the organization or other teams or other projects that you're aware of that they might not be. I think that's a wonderful piece of advice. Exactly. And I've always tried to have the approach of, I'm not expecting anyone in my team to stay in my team forever. I think that would almost be a failure on my part. The success of me as their manager is giving them enough experiences and enough to add to their CV to essentially be able to go, well, I'm now qualified to go do this other role or for a promotion or to join this other team in the business. And if I can get them to that point, that's, I think, what I should be doing as their manager. Yeah, I love how you said that, that if this team stayed with me for all time, I would fail as a leader. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It is perfectly said. And that's 100%. Our job is to support the growth and development of our team so that they can grow their career way beyond what they're doing today. That adds value to the team. It adds value to the organization. If they choose to go to another organization, that adds value to themselves. That's okay. They delivered a tremendous amount of value while we work together. We recognize that, hey, we're not going to be together all the time. And that's okay. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk about the transition to being a co-founder. Because that takes on a completely different set of just leadership perspective in it. You have a completely different role in the company. How did that evolve? And, you know, let's start there. How did that evolve from from that role? And ultimately, you got into founding SIA. Oh, it's a huge step, really. Well, I guess if we're talking about how SIA came about and, and how I ended up here, I ended up leaving that company and as part of a major company redundancy. And so I wasn't doing anything. And Paul, my co-founder, contacted me, proposed this at the time, really just a project, which I was excited to work on. It was ultimately, I think, really great timing for both of us, really. Neither of us was super committed to anything else. We had this project that we worked on and it went really well. Now we can look back on it as a pilot. And because it went well, we kind of went, well, we could make this into a company. Let's try it. Let's see how it goes. And just, I'd say very organically started to snowball from there. And because everything is remote online, when COVID happened, we were only maybe just about five months old as a company. And it sort of catalyzed everything. It really sort of propelled us further than I I think we expected at the time because it forced all our prospective customers to start working from home and having to find remote solutions. 
That's fantastic. And I know you guys have been on a tear from a growth perspective. So what does your role from a leadership perspective involve today, being co-founder, being responsible for the education side? Like, tell us a little bit about how leadership plays a part today. Yeah, so in my sort of direct team, the education team, we're about 20 people now, which is crazy because I think this time last year, we might have been about 20 people in the whole company. <laughs> Up until about now, really, but since just over a year ago, I've also been kind of acting head of people and culture until literally on Monday, our VP of people started. And so she'll Congrats. be... Yeah, very exciting. She'll be able to take the helm of that part of the business. But yeah, so my, my role has been an even broader scope in terms of leadership. And then, of course, as co-founder, having that kind of at the end of the day, ultimate comes back to you level of leadership. Right. And so what you have you taken from your previous experiences where you were got to a leadership position of a team inside a much larger organization. And now you're in a leadership position of a team, but it's inside your own organization, right? So you're actually like, there is no other place. Like there's you and Paul, obviously, as the co-founders of the company, but what is different between being in a leadership position in another company versus being in a leadership position where you're the co-founder and part of where it came from? Oh, good question. I guess one difference is that any issues, anything that's missing, like some things we don't have yet because we're still such a small, well, young company at least. And, you know, we're, we're currently working on career progression frameworks, for example, things that in my previous roles, you know, especially at a massive company like Amazon, it was just so done and organized and there were levels and then with within your role there were levels and there was scoring and all of this and review cycles so not having those things because we just haven't got to it yet now that we have our vp of people i'm sure things like that will move much faster but i guess being in my people management position i have to balance sort of knowing that well, we don't have like career progression frameworks yet, even though I know it would be great to have them. It's also, there are other things on, on our priority lists that we have to balance it with. I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm the people manager, knowing where the gaps are and, and feeling the gaps on my day-to-day, -day, in my day-to-day -day role in people management, but also knowing from my co-founder self why those gaps are there and and knowing when the gaps are expected to be filled so i guess it it helps in that i don't have that disconnect between my people management self and the super senior leadership i have both sides of knowledge so there's a level of visibility that you have into those gaps and why they exist and you know for somebody who's in a you know, position where that visibility isn't there and those gaps create friction and tension and frustration, you know, just one is know that there's a reason why those gaps exist, 
and no fault on anybody, but likely just the stage of growth or just the state of maturity of a business, whatever it is, but it exists and you just might not have that visibility like Alex happens to here. So it's a really interesting point that visibility can take away an awful lot of frustration and tension just because you know why a gap exists rather than going up against a wall saying this doesn't happen, it's never been here, it's so frustrating, I don't have this, why can't they do this? The reality is there's a reason, you just might not know it. Mm. All right, Alex, so getting close to wrapping up here, I wanna ask you one very powerful question. If you could go back in time with everything you know now and sit down and have a conversation with Alex when you're in your very first buddy role, when you got into the buddy position at Amazon, what advice would you share with your previous self? If I'm assuming that I would have got the advice from my then manager anyway, I'm not going to give myself that advice because that's coming. I think almost, almost counterintuitively, I would tell myself not to stress out about it so much. And I feel like it's counterintuitive a little bit because maybe how much I was focused on it is what pushed me to get where I got to. But at the same time, maybe now in hindsight, I can also see that maybe I wasn't quite ready. And me, me not getting the promotion or me not getting direct reports as early as I wanted them was perhaps the right decision by my manager at the time, even though it frustrated me and it made me feel like, well, why don't they think I'm ready? Why am I not getting promoted? I think in hindsight, I can see where I wasn't mature enough business-wise to take that responsibility and maybe it would have been too big of a jump. So I would tell myself to to relax a little bit more and know that you should be pushing for it, but also to some extent accepting that maybe you're not always ready for the promotion you want. That's a great point. Sometimes as frustrating it can be for us to be told we're not ready right? It's a realization that we have to come to for us to be okay with not being ready. And oftentimes that only comes in reflection <laughs> that, well, despite my attitude, what I thought, I really wasn't ready at that time, but I only could realize that years later. It's fascinating. <laughs> All right, cool. So the last question is for someone out there who is focused on, who wants to grow and develop their leadership skills, what advice would you have to give them at any level, anybody at any level? Well, I should say you should come to SIA and, and take some of our <laughs> leadership courses. But <laughs> I guess probably one of the most important things for me as a leader, and, and so my advice would be to sort of, I guess, focus on it or reflect on how you're approaching this is, is being really supportive to your team's career progression plan. It's really something that I've I've started to feel bad about as a co-founder and and having that dual role, meaning that I'm I'm so busy that I'm starting to feel like I want to put more time just into my direct reports because I feel like I've lost time a little bit to to give them that that one-on-one -on -one career coaching essentially. So I'd say even my advice to myself is if you can to try to go back to that and to go back to spending that simple career development time with your with your team it's not a one to one it's not it's not about their day to day role it's about where do they want to go and how can we get them there that's what i would want to focus on perfect 
Wonderful advice. Well, Alex, it has been an absolute pleasure hanging with you today, talking about leadership, your experience. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and progression all the way up to co-founder of SIA and all the incredible advice that you shared. I can't wait to continue to partner with SIA and keep on seeing all the incredible things that your team is going to do. So until next time, take care and have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you for listening to the B2B Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd welcome you to subscribe and give the show a five-star review. You can see the show notes and all of the resources mentioned in today's episode at b2bleadershippodcast.com. As always, I'm Nils Vinya, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Take care and have a great rest of your day. This podcast is brought to you by the B2B Leaders Academy. The cost of not consistently developing your leadership skills is enormous. And the B2B Leaders Academy features monthly leadership training and live coaching. Being a great leader isn't hard. You just need a guide and the right set of tools. So head on over to B2BLeadersAcademy.com to join and become the leader you have always wanted to be.